welcome on into Kicking It, the Northwestern Soccer Podcast. I'm Mitt Malik, joined as always by Austin Miller. We're here for another great podcast about Northwestern's women's soccer, men's soccer, and some Champions League. Austin, how are you doing tonight on this Tuesday evening? Doing great. A little pre-podcast Taco Bell got the energy up wearing a Palmetas jersey. My beloved team have now won two straight domestically, so in a good mood, feeling good, and a couple of good results for Northwestern women's soccer to talk about, too. Yeah, we're going to start with them, as we usually do. Uh, four points from a weekend at home. They tied, they drew number 12 Rutgers 0-0, and uh, rather dominated the match. And then on against Maryland on Sunday, pretty comprehensive two-goal victory, 2-0, behind two first-half set-piece goals. Let's start with that Friday night game. Austin, you were on the call for this one. Uh, Northwestern looked better against Rutgers. What did we learn and, you know, how could they use this performance to going forward? Yeah, I said this at the end of the broadcast. Going into that match, you would have absolutely taken a point and considered it to be a really good result. Coming in, Rutgers had not conceded and they were undefeated. After that match, the point was still very good, but I think you certainly felt as though Northwestern could have absolutely gotten three points from that match. They were denied by a couple of really good saves from Casey Murphy, the Rutgers goalkeeper. They controlled possession. Uh, the possession numbers felt like they would have been in Northwestern's favor. They created chances. They were good on the ball, and they really didn't concede too many chances. And when they did, Lauren Clem was fantastic <laughs> coming off her line in overtime to preserve the point. Uh, and coming up with a big save early on in the first half. It was a good performance for Northwestern. I think it was probably the best that I think I've seen them play all year, despite the fact that they didn't put the ball in the back of the net. They asked questions. They were dangerous. They created chances. And they really showed that they can play with one of the best teams in this conference, in the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, before that match, Rutgers hadn't conceded all season. Northwestern outshot them 13-6. to and as you said, Austin looked, you know, the more dangerous team. I thought their best chance was a Grace Orndorff rebound in the box off of a corner kick. Um, Fantastic save from Casey yeah, Murphy. It was, it was a great save did really Orndorf. well to put her shot on a shot on target, and Murphy was able to push it over the bar. That was the be- as you said, the best chance for Northwestern. Um, there was a header, uh, I believe, from Brenna Lavera that could, that could have gone in at well, as well at points. So the Wildcats played really, really well, and I I think they should feel very good about the way they performed. Yeah, I think. You know, that's a game you look back and you think maybe you might have won it, but again, we're going we're gonna to stress that I think it was a good result to get a point out of that game against a very good Rutgers team. And something I want to just ask you about is, you know, Northwestern, their goal is to be able to play with the elite teams in the country. And we saw Rutgers. I wasn't necessarily that impressed thinking this is one of the best teams we're gonna that Northwestern could see all season. I think they're a class below Penn State. But they're ranked 12th for, not for no reason, you know, does that give you faith that Northwestern can hang with the best teams in the country, or are you still are you still the jury's still out because Rutgers maybe was overrated? Both of those can be true. I think Rutgers is a little overrated, although it kind of felt like their attack just wasn't clicking on the night. And give Northwestern's defense credit for some of that. But Colby Sharaka and Mira Ali are two very dangerous players for Rutgers, and they just didn't quite seem like they were all there and clicking on all cylinders. And I think Northwestern benefited <laughs> from that. But absolutely, Northwestern can play with anybody. They showed it last year. They've shown it this year. The Penn State game didn't go how they wanted, but I think they bounced back incredibly well from that tough result. And I don't think there's any reason that this team should feel like any time they step out on the pitch against anybody that they can't get a result and battle their way to a point or overtime or eventually in the NCAA tournament, a penalty shootout, should they so need. Yeah, I think their defense just keeps them in any game that they're going to play. You know, obviously Penn State wasn't great, but since then, seven points out of nine haven't conceded a goal. I think we're starting to see, like, the full-on effects of having Hannah Davison back in the lineup. 
you know, that, that defense is just really hard to score against, and it's looking exactly like it was last year. Yeah, and in two of those three matches where they got the seven points from, they really weren't tested defensively. Ohio State and Maryland, as we'll get to in a minute, both really didn't trouble Northwestern. And Rutgers had a couple of chances, but it wasn't like they were dominating possession. It wasn't like they were pinging passes <coughs> to the Northwestern defense, creating chances at every turnaround. They simply weren't. They had a couple, sure, but Northwestern, I thought, for the most part, did very, very well to stifle the opportunity for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, and then moving on to that Maryland game, uh, 2-0 win against the Terps. Uh, the Terps had a pretty good record coming in. We're 7-1-1. One, one. They ain't played nobody. They, they, they ain't as, played nobody. As you said, they played really no one. Their only difficult game on that schedule was against Rutgers. They lost 2-0, and I thought this was a very fair result. Northwestern, two set pieces in the first half, both corner kicks from Mercer Vigiano. First one, a high ball that the goalkeeper, Egyet, should have done a better ball with. She, she really just missed it. Brenda Lavera scored close range, and the second goal, a set piece, a driven ball towards the middle of the box, and Hannah Davison was just a really great diving header. I think we were saying this before the podcast, Lawson, this is about as like picture-perfect of a win you could dream up if you were Michael Moynihan. Two set-piece goals, weren't really tested, able to kind of put it on cruise control. Obviously, the effort was still 100%, but not be troubled by Maryland and just kind of hold the ball in the midfield. Yeah, exactly what Northwestern was looking for. Tip of the cap to Marissa Vigiano. Her set-piece delivery has been spot-on all year. She's put the ball in dangerous areas. And on that first goal, you mentioned it, the Maryland goalkeeper came off her line and didn't get it. And we've seen that a number of times from opposing goalkeepers. They go for these balls that Vigiano just puts in the right spot. You put it right in that in-between, and you force a goalkeeper to make a decision. When that decision is wrong, Northwestern has the players to finish it off. That's how they got the first. And then credit to Hannah Davison getting in a good position and putting a really good header on net for the second. And then, as you said, you know, Lauren Clem had to do a little bit, ended up being credited with six saves in this match, but it never really felt like she was in any real danger from the Terrapin attackers and a good result for Northwestern. And it's another four-point weekend and a lot of four-point weekends down the stretch mixed in with a couple of six-point weekends. And who knows, for Northwestern, they could be looking at themselves right back in the Big Ten race. Yeah, I think that's what we want to look at a bit is the Big Ten standings. You know, we don't need to dwell too much on the Maryland game. As we said, pretty comprehensive performance. Almost had a third goal. Uh, they maybe should have been allowed. It was an offsides call on Kim Jaritowski. Another great ball from Mr. Vigiano. Anyways, that being said, 2-0 win. Looking at the Big Ten standings, Penn State is the top of the group, only counting Big Ten play with 10 points, 3-0-1. Ohio State behind them at 9. And then there's four teams with 7, although Rutgers and Purdue have played one less game than Michigan Northwestern. How do you feel about where Northwestern is at this point in the season? I think considering they've already played their two hardest conference games, I think you have to like where they're at. Penn State dropped points to a, a mid-table team in Nebraska. That's a positive sign for Northwestern. That was the first point Nebraska had picked up in conference play, albeit only their second conference match because they had that match with Iowa postponed. But Penn State already has dropped points. You'd like to think that they'll do that at least a couple more times to give you a chance to make up that gap. Northwestern and Penn State are even in games played. You mentioned that Rutgers and Purdue have those game in, games in hand. Penn State does not. So the Wildcats are only three points back to get themselves in a situation where you only have to outpoint Penn State by four to get in front of them. So you'd like that they've already dropped points, and you'd like that you've played your hardest matches. Wisconsin, a team that was highly rated coming into Big Ten play, they're on six points. They have a game in hand on Northwestern. But that 2-1 loss for Wisconsin against Michigan, I think, kind of dents what we expected from Wisconsin, especially with it being at home. 
I think Northwestern will feel like they can play with the Badgers and they can probably finish ahead of them. So you like you really like where you're at in the table right now. You're going to need teams around you to drop points, but you're always going to need teams around you to drop points. It's really tough to run through conference play with 12 wins out of 12. Yeah, that's what happened for Northwestern last year. Penn State, you know, even though they were missing players, always expected to be at the top, just, just wasn't exactly up there. And Northwestern played the three teams so far at the top of the table. And you look at their rest of their schedule – it's really looking favorable for Northwestern. Obviously, Wisconsin, highly rated. We don't think they're that good. You look at that schedule, the only other team that really jumps out at you, maybe Minnesota last year, a good team, not as good this year. They avoided Michigan, who I think is the other solid team in this conference. I'm looking at seven all very winnable games for Northwestern Austin. Yeah, probably the mo- the two most difficult games still to come on the schedule are that Wisconsin game and then the match this weekend in West Lafayette against a Purdue team that has really started the year well and finds themselves even on points with Northwestern in the Big Ten table. So yeah, I think they do like where they're at and they also like the fact that of the teams at the bottom of the Big Ten table, they only miss out on playing Iowa, who's yet to pick up a point but has two games in hand. Michigan State and Illinois, two teams that have yet to pick up a point. They are on the Northwestern schedule. Nebraska's there. They already beat Maryland, Indiana. So I think the schedule is fairly favorable to them. Obviously, ideally, you don't play Penn State and Rutgers, but it's tough to make that happen. It's tough to make that happen, but I think the timing of it is what benefits Northwestern. They kind of weathered that storm a little. Out of the first four games, you came out with seven points. Good enough. And now you have your last seven, and you're looking in very good shape. I think that's one thing that's a little weird is they have three on the road, then three at home. So, I think if they could get through these next three games with seven points, they're in really good shape to to pick up on either another seven or nine at home, which is what you want out of those three home games from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska. But two, in, I'm looking at three game stretches. You really have to think about two game stretches because that's how it works. If you get four this weekend and then two sixes, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, it's kind of not how the dates are shaping up, but... Thinking about it like that, I think Northwestern could be in really good shape. Yeah, they could. And I think this Purdue match is probably one where, again... It's very similar to the Ohio State match. Yeah. A team right in the same type of area, talent, caliber of Northwestern on the road, but... The teams around you are the teams you got to beat to to do well. Right. Again, four, there's nothing ever going to be wrong with four-point weekends. If they go to Bloomington and pick up three, and then in West Lafayette on Sunday they pick up another one, I think you take it and you'd be happy. But three points against Purdue is three points against a direct rival. Vaults you over them in the table, even though they'll still have that game in hand on you. And I think you'll like where you're at looking at that. If you can get three points from that Purdue match. It's one of those matches where... I think Rutgers was a draw is a very good result. A win would be incredible. Here, a draw is a good result, and a win would be a very good result. It's certainly attainable for Northwestern. And for Purdue, they fortunately don't have Rutgers on the schedule, so that's one opportunity where you'd probably project them to drop points that they don't have. So, again, a, a one-on-one matchup against a team that's, that's right around you in the table in the Boilermakers is one where if you can pick up three points, I think you'll feel good. <coughs> Yeah, so let's look at both these teams a little bit. We'll start with Indiana. They're 5-4-2. and two. They're solid, but nothing spectacular. They lost to Michigan 1-2. They tied Purdue 1-1 at home. Beat Michigan State, who isn't very good, 1-0. Then you look at their non-con. A good win over a ranked SMU, 1-0. Good win over Vanderbilt, but a, uh, a loss to Memphis, and then a weird 3-3 draw with the North Texas team that was receiving votes. Pretty good strength of schedule for Indiana, at least. 
Indiana is squarely a mid-table Big Ten team. Um, and that means that on the road, I think Northwestern will expect to win this game, and I think Northwestern will win this game. I think they're at the point now as a program and as a team, they have more talent than the Hoosiers do. That's not to say that that you know Indiana is certainly not in Illinois or Michigan State and where anything but a win would be a poor result. But this would be, I think, is a very good opportunity for Northwestern to start their weekend off Get those three points in your bag so that you know that when you do eventually come back to Evanston, you have at least done so having three points. Indiana doesn't have, again, they are an average mid-table Big Ten team. They don't have anybody that necessarily scares you from an individual perspective. I think they probably play pretty well as a team. You like some of the results. You don't like some of the results. Maybe some consistency questions. If Northwestern goes out and plays like they have played in the last three matches against Ohio State, Rutgers, and Maryland, Northwestern will win this match. Yeah, I agree. And adding on to that, you know, mid-table theme that you were mentioning, you look at RPI, Northwestern jumped up to 37 because of the good result against Rutgers and Maryland, and Indiana's 47, which is right around where Northwestern was. I think right now Northwestern is solidly in NCAA tournament territory, Indiana's close to that bubble, and I think that's why exactly they're a mid-table Big Ten team. You look at the roster, you know, two two players with five goals scored. Pretty impressive, Maya Piper and Chandra Davison. And then a girl with four assists, Michaela Brown. But nothing that really jumps out to you. I mean, if someone looked at Northwestern's offensive stats, they'd say, oh, nothing that jumps out to you. But that's not that's not the point of Northwestern. But you team. look at the Indiana defensive stats, you know, they've conceded 12 goals. Again, that's only yeah. one more than Northwestern has conceded, but there have been extenuating circumstances. And who's to say there's not for Indiana? We can't necessarily speak to that. But I think what you look at is with both of those goal scores, with, with Piper and, and the other five-goal score for Indiana, they don't necessarily stand out physically. And those yeah. are the type of players that give Northwestern problems. Amira Ali might not have been at her best on Friday she's night. she's the type of player. The type of player with pace and with strength. And there's not many types of those players. And those types of players give everybody problems. Indiana doesn't necessarily have that. So for Northwestern, this feels like the type of match where they're going to keep the Hoosiers in front of them. Don't let them in behind. Force them to try to beat Lauren Clem from distance. That's going to be difficult. And I think this is going to be another clean sheet for the Wildcats. Uh, maybe they'll get one from the run of play, but probably another set piece. Take your one no win and take your three points. Yeah, something interesting to watch is how teams game plan to defend those set pieces. Because obviously, if you're a coach of the Big Ten, you know what you're aware. Teams, yeah, you're aware. It's just the problem is, can you stop it? And I think the answer is no, not not right now. And part of it yeah. is. A lot of it is out of the defense's control because so much of it comes down to delivery from Marissa Vigiano. And if she delivers the ball where she wants to put it consistently, it's going to turn into chances because it's in such a good place that it makes defenses work. That's why I think if Northwestern's getting seven corner kicks a game, you're looking at one of them's probably going to go in. Uh, For Indiana, stats-wise, pretty unremarkable. I like to always look at those ranking summaries, my favorite thing to do. And for Indiana, you know, nothing really that jumps off the page. Squarely uh, in the 140s for almost everything. Uh, They're 76 in the country and second in the conference in shots per game with 15, which is a lot. Yeah, we, saw that, game. we saw that story but with shots, Cincinnati. But shots per goal per game is 6.64. So you're thinking about a team, you know, obviously we can't read too much into this, but those numbers tell us that they're just firing a lot of shots from distance. And we can tell you that Lauren Clem will be for- happy to let you do that. Yeah. This is three points, I think, for Northwestern. Yeah, I, think I think it's it probably is. a pretty comfortable three points for the Wildcats because yeah. that's the level that they've shown recently. 
And if they continue to show that level, I think they are going to be a tier ahead of where the Hoosiers are. Yeah, I think the key for Northwestern in this one will be to get on the score sheet early and yeah. not leave it late to give Indiana confidence, to let them set back and defend and really play for that point. But if Northwestern scores in this game, it'll be over at that point. So I think we both agree a pretty comfortable one. Let's move on to Purdue. We talked about them a bit. They're a pretty tricky team. They've had a good start to the season, 7-2-1. and one. Good results all around. Uh, 2-0 win over DePaul, a team Northwestern beat 1-0. They lost to Mich- Cincinnati, a team that Northwestern lost to, same scoreline 2-1. But beat Michigan, who we think is a solid team. Beat Michigan State 6-2. But then Loyola Marymount, they lost 2-2-1. Northwestern tied them 2-2. The, the record is good, 7-2-1, but maybe not... It's not the performances that are standing out, but I think this is a solid team. Yeah, I think this is a Purdue team that is a tier ahead of Indiana and probably views themselves in the same tier as Northwestern, which is to say Penn State and Rutgers may be the class of this conference, but these two teams are probably, along with Michigan, right behind them and absolutely in position that they can trouble those teams at the top of the Big Ten table. Purdue can be dangerous, um, you know. Matty Williams for the Boilermakers has eight goals and eight assists this year. That assist number is top in the country. That goal number is up there in the country. She's 11th a, in the country. She's a proven goal scorer, and you don't find those all the time <coughs> in women's college soccer. So that's a player that Northwestern... I mean, we've, we've talked about it a lot. How great would it be if Northwestern could find one? There are very few teams in the country that have proven goal scorers. Just on the record, that's... Not even on the record. That's just... It's it's near impossible. That the best team in the country have it, and that's it. And so, for Northwestern, that's a player that you have to always be turned on against. You know she's a dangerous goal scorer, so that back line, I think, will be a little bit more focused in on Williams. Where's her positioning at? What type of runs is she going to make? You know, how is she going to look to beat us? Is she a player that can trouble us from distance, or is she a player that we can sit a little bit back and let her fire from distance with the knowledge that she's not going to beat us? Those are things that Northwestern's defense will know. I think if they execute the game plan, they've shown pretty well that they can deliver against players like this. We saw it against Minnesota last year and their dangerous striker. Northwestern really shut that down. Against Rutgers this past weekend, Amir Ali and Colby Sharaka had just about nothing to do. And that was in large part because of how dangerous uh, or how well Northwestern played defensively, I should say. Maddie Williams, I think the story is going to be a lot the same. They're going to be keyed in. They're going to be focused. They know how she can hurt her, how she can hurt them, and I think they're going to snuff out those opportunities. Yeah, it's going to be one of those matchups where it's strength versus strength, and then, you know, it's at least relatively Northwestern's offense is a weakness versus Purdue's. Purdue has the best scoring offense in the conference. They score two and a half goals per game. Uh, first, the conference in total goals, 25. Easy math there. But goals against average, they're 10th in the conference. They concede pretty much exactly one goal a game. So you look at that, if Northwestern can hold Purdue without a goal, you'd favor them to grab one off of a set piece. Purdue gives up one a game. You just have to you just have to hold them. And, you know, on paper it's harder to hold a team that scores two and a half goals a game to no goals, but that's exactly what Northwestern is designed to do. And that's exactly and, what they did this last weekend against the Scarlet against, Knights. Against Rutgers. So I think it, it'll come down to exactly what you said, how well they could key in against uh, the Boilermakers star in Maddie Williams. We're not on the call this week, so I think we both could give predictions. How about that, Austin? Uh, Austin is waving up the six points. Yeah, it's kind of. I wish I had six fingers because it's a lot more effective. You know, last week for men's soccer, I was able to do these threes. It's a lot more <laughs> effective when you can do the signal on one hand. But yeah, I have five fingers up on one hand and one on the other. Six points for Northwestern, squarely in the Big Ten title race after this weekend and feeling very good about their past performances. I will go a step further. 
They're not even going to concede this weekend. Keep that clean sheet streak going. Going to extend it to five. I like where the Wildcats are at right now. I like how they bounced back after they opened Big Ten play with a loss. I like the style with which they're playing. I'm going to go 2-0 against the Hoosiers, 1-0 against Purdue on Sunday. Uh, I also want to say six points, which is, I know, boring. You're listening to two people that talk about Northwestern soccer all the time. They're predicting two wins. So take that with a grain of salt. But we know this team, and we think that this this is going to be two winnable games, and this is where Northwestern needs to start getting rolling. I think one of these games might go to overtime. I think one of these games will be challenging. I'm looking at the Purdue game. I could see that taking a while. But it's hard for me not to imagine an easy win against Indiana. And against Purdue, they'll get the job done somehow. But we'll see. You know, playing on the road the Big Ten, always tough. Uh, I think that about sums it up for us there for women's soccer. Let's move on to the men's team. Uh, tough year so far for Hey, the we got a win to talk fans. about, though. We do have a win to talk about. UIC, 1-0 win, 88th minute winner. Followed up with a 3-1 loss to Michigan. Tough one because the Wolverines went down to 10 men. But let's start with that UIC win. Crosstown rivalry, second win of the season for the Wildcats. Always good to just take care of business at home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we it, kind of knew what was hap- going to happen coming into this match. These were two teams that had struggled to start the year, and I think it kind of looked like <clears> that when these two teams got out on the pitch. But for Northwestern, you'll take anything that you can get at this point of the year. And, and to get a win in a match against a team that's a local rival, a team that you probably will put yourself up against in recruiting battles in years to come, never going to be upset with something like that. And I think this is a good win for the Wildcats and a good performance all around. We saw Robbie White return to goal for Northwestern. He got the start in both of these matches against the Flames and then against the Wolverines at the weekend. <coughs> Thought he did well against UIC, and I think Northwestern can feel good about the performance that they had midweek last week. Yeah, especially in a year that, you know, the way it's looking, it's not a year when Northwestern's contending for anything. When that's the case, you need wins when you can get them. And I think you said it well. UIC, a team last year that was very good, uh, won the Horizon League. At home, they dominated the match, I thought. No real good chances for UIC. And then won it off a set piece late because they were always knocking on the door. Uh, 1-0 win was a fair one, I thought, and it's good for the Wildcats just to get that boost. And we've talked about it. In the middle of this very tough stretch, this UIC game is sandwiched on one game on one end against a top team in the country and three games against three top ten teams in the country as well. You need, you need that momentum, and, and we both think Northwestern in one of these games is going to poach a result. Absolutely. Right now they're 0 for 2, but they have two more. Let's I mean, we can talk about the Michigan game a little. You watch this one. What did what did you see? I thought Northwestern maybe didn't do their best once they were down 10 to go and get that game, but the 3-1 is the last goal was kind of... Uh, yeah, this, this, yeah. Is a, this is a 2-1 result. Yeah. Um, the 3-1 <clears throat> is it's something you don't always see in football all the time, but an empty netter back the other way. Robbie White was forward for Northwestern. Michigan cleared uh, the set-piece attempt for Northwestern, and boom, was back the other way, passed it in the back of the net, whatever, 3-1. 2-1 was the real result of this match. For Northwestern, yeah, it was a bit frustrating. They went Michigan went down to 10 men about 25 minutes into this match. Uh, shout out to Francis Atuahene from Michigan, <coughs> who pulled a Steven Gerrard in this one and played all of eight <laughs> seconds. Came on after Michigan scored their opening goal in the center circle after the kickoff. Cleat right to Camden Bisher's thigh. That's the end of your afternoon, Mr. Atuahene. Michigan down to 10. Uh, this was a physical match. Big 10 play often is. Uh, Michigan picked up some cards after that. They took that 1-0 result, and then they were able to boom, turn it into two. Northwestern got one back just weren't able to really put the pressure on maybe like they would have wanted to to get the second result in this match. Michigan is a good team. They're ranked 20th play, in the country. You're going to play a lot of good teams in this conference. And for Northwestern, um, 
they went behind not as early as they have in other Big Ten matches, but they still went behind fairly early. And it was another another tough afternoon for the Wildcats. Um, Michigan is a better team. Michigan is a good team. Michigan deserved the result against Northwestern. I think of anything that's maybe a bit frustrating because they did play so long of this match with just 10 men. But Michigan, I thought, did really, really well when they went down to 10 men. Everybody, the other 10, kind of picked up their game by that extra 10%. And I thought Michigan saw this result out well. So a tough one for Northwestern. But as we said, a couple of big chances coming up to pick up a scout. Yeah, and I think for Northwestern, that that second goal for Michigan was hard because it was after the red card. Uh, when it was 1-0 down, if you could keep it at 1-0 heading into the second half, you maybe could get it. But <clears throat> let's not dwell too much. Let's look ahead to this upcoming week on the road for two top 10 teams in the country. We're going to see Notre Dame ranked 7th and Maryland ranked 3rd in reverse order. Let's start with the Terrapins, perennial contenders in the top of the country, also in the Big Ten. They're 6-0-2, have yet to lose this season, and have some good wins under their belt as well. What do we expect from the Terrapins? Yeah, Maryland's a good team. There's a lot of good teams in this conference. They've yet to lose this year. The top of this Big Ten table is extremely tight. Ohio State on nine, Indiana on eight, Maryland on eight, Michigan State and Michigan each on seven, Wisconsin just behind on six before you have three teams that have yet to pick up a point in Penn State, Northwestern, and Rutgers. Maryland is going to ask a lot of questions of Northwestern. Gordon Wild, their leading goal scorer with five goals. Jake Rosansky has, has five assists. This is a, a team that has assisted on 11 of their 15 goals so far this year. As you said, a perennial power, always dangerous. And we sound like a broken record, but the recipe is going to be what it always is for Northwestern. The first 20 minutes are going to be massive. You have to dig in, hold a line, hold the result, build your way into this match and see what happens. If you can get through the first 20 minutes unscathed, you don't know what will happen. If you get through that 20 minutes and you find yourselves one or two goals down, it's going to be extremely difficult to get back into it. Yeah, I think some telling stats for the Terrapins. Fourth in the country in shutout percentage in .75. Third in just four goals in two Which is also third in the conference. So you think about that, three of the top four teams in the country defensively are in the Big Ten. And Northwestern's supposed to play these teams every week and get results. Really challenging. Uh, Ninth in the country in goals against average, .46 a game. Uh, I think this Maryland team's very good, and, you know, there's, there's not much to say about them. They have some good results. They were held to a draw by Michigan State, but Michigan State's also a top 10 team, and they drew Indiana, who was a top 10 team, a top 5 team, 0-0 as well. So I think Maryland, when they play a big team, doesn't want to go out and get a result. They're happy to sit back and defend. When they play a team like Northwestern, they're going to come attack and attack, and Northwestern needs to hold on. I think we both agree on this. If Northwestern could get to halftime at 0-0, they have a chance. But they have to get there, and that's been their Achilles heel. They concede early, and they're not a team built to play from behind. They've just conceded too many first-half goals this year, and that has put them behind the eight ball so often. And and I think that's been, just been really difficult for this team to come back from. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Defend early, build your way into this match, start getting possession around 20 to 25 minutes into it, create a couple chances, <clears throat> and see what happens against a tough team in Maryland. And then the schedule gets no easier because you've got a non-conference chan- clash with Notre Dame. But... It's a Notre Dame team that we've seen Northwestern historically do really well against, especially recently. Northwestern uh, got results against Notre Dame the past two years down at Toyota Park. Now they're going to South Bend. 
I think of all of this stretch of really difficult matches for Northwestern, Indiana, Michigan, Notre Dame, Maryland, with that UIC match squeezed in the middle, this is the one that I think they are most equipped to get a result because they will have that confidence that, look, we've played these guys well before. We can do it again. We did it last year in a disappointing year for us when the results didn't go our way. We still pulled one out against these guys. I think we can do it again this year is what they'll be saying. Yeah, last year Northwestern won two one an overtime goal from Jake Roberge or sorry Mike Roberge. Jake Roberge still on the team. Can't get your brothers mixed up there. Can't get those brothers. A lot of brothers uh, on Northwestern. The Motherwells, the Thomasinos, the Robergeses. It's probably one other one that I'm that I'm missing. No, I think you got them all. Uh, I got them all. Yeah, you covered. I'll cut it. Anyway. Covered your bases. Cut it anyway. <laughs> no, 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 don't cut that. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, two years ago, Northwestern. Got a 1-1 draw at Toyota Park. The year before, they lost 1-0 at South Bend. But the year before that, they also tied Notre Dame at South Bend at 1-1. So, a team that Northwestern certainly can hang with. And I think you're exactly right, Austin. This is the one that they probably have circled. Because Notre Dame, just a good little rivalry between these two teams. Tim Lenahan's coached them up for all these fixtures. And these midweek non-conference matches, I think, can go so a little bit funkier. Exactly. Sleeping. Notre Dame plays in the ACC, another incredibly difficult conference. They just suffered a loss against Virginia Tech. They have to play Virginia before they play Northwestern, another traditionally good men's soccer national power. There's the opportunity, like you said. You can catch this Notre Dame team maybe, and it's hard to picture Notre Dame overlooking Northwestern after what happened last <coughs> year and, and what's happened historically. But maybe Notre Dame has that switch off just for that little bit, or maybe they're that one level short of where they should be. Northwestern can pounce on that and can get something in South Bend. Yeah, Notre Dame led by John Gallagher, the senior. We saw him last year. He's just ridiculous. Last year, ACC Offensive Player of the Year, All-ACC First Team, uh, 2015 All-ACC Third Team. He's got seven goals already. And Je- and Jeffrey Farina for Notre Dame as well as a player that was hurt last year. A really good striker from just down the road in Wilmette. He's another player that Northwestern will have to be on against. <clears throat> yeah, so that'll wrap it up for men's soccer. Two tough games this weekend. We'll see if they can get some points. Let's move on to uh, this is where we just kind of uh, have a little soccer banter about the Champions League this week. Last week there was some Carabao Cup. Austin. Gotta say, the Champions League a lot better than the Carabao Cup. Much better. Though my Carabao Cup predictions went about as well as my NFL predictions went this week. That is to say bad. Uh, it was a bad week for both of us in the NFL. Uh, but My Champions League picks, though. Doing well. Uh, Tottenham, my favorite team. A very easy 3-0 win on the road. Garbage. In Nicosia against Apoel. Hat trick for Harry Kane. It's a sixth half trick in 2017. How about that? All of them coming in months not named August as Austin. All right, here's despairs. the thing. Here's the thing about Harry Kane. Harry Kane is not the most annoying footballer in the world, but he's darn near close because he's not that good. He is good. He just finishes, and it's so no, obnoxious. If you watch him, he does because it's things. like, oh, here's this ball. Oh, I guess Harry Kane will just put his right foot to it and drag it into the back of the net. Another he's goal. A really good. Another finisher. hat trick. He also helps them build up the play. He he can dribble. He can pass. He also is just funny looking. He he is funny looking. I remember when he first came up, he just seemed. I was like, this guy is the next guy to lead the line. I was I was not hyped, but I love it. He scores. He has a lot of passion. He like he's a good he's a good character guy. He's not like a scummy guy. I like that. I know you hate him, Austin, but it's just obnoxious. Whatever. Spurs. What, are it's on. obnoxious because he just scores. He does his job. Yeah, it's too good. 
Spurs on okay. Six. All right, I, I have that on record. Carrie Kate is too good for Austin Miller. Spurs on six points. Real Madrid did them a favor with a three-one win against Dortmund. They're on six points. Borussia Dortmund and Applewell now six points back with two played. And Spurs have the double against Real Madrid coming up. Which and is Borussia Dortmund have the double against Applewell coming up. So those six points probably going to be reversed for Dortmund, and I think that Tottenham. Just needs to get a point out of these two against Madrid, and they got to just close out strong with six or four points from Applewell and Dortmund in the back end. The thing for Spurs is they've given themselves a window that even if they lose both matches to Real, and even if Dortmund win both matches against Applewell, they're still even. Exactly, they're in still even the last two. with a match against Dortmund still to come. Obviously, it's away from home that could be difficult, but also that Applewell home banker you would expect, whereas Dortmund would have to play Real Madrid away. So I think. As a Spurs fan, I'm assuming you're feeling pretty good. I mean, you it's, can't, you it's can't Spurs. Feel, yeah, I mean, you never feel good about Spurs. You never feel good about them in Europe. But two wins out of two, you you literally cannot ask for more. And they've been it's two true. good performances. So I won't. I I can't complain. Uh, Dortmund, I thought against Real Madrid, played a little bit too open of a game. Uh, they played well, but you know the line was a little, a little too high. Bale had a great goal and. Cristiano Ronaldo picked up two more Champions League goals to continue on his his stretch. Um, Despite this being the group of death, you know, I thought there was a lot of actually fun soccer elsewhere today. Uh, And first of all, I'd like to credit Spartak. Great result against Liverpool. Yeah, they checked out the XG on this one. Liverpool 2.2 to 0.5. Yeah, that's what you got to do, Spartak. Spartak batting down the hatches for the last half an hour. Eight minutes of added time at the end of this one because Spartak had to make a goalkeeper change. A good point for them. Oh, Liverpool have now only picked up two points from their first two. They have the double with Maribor coming up, so you'd like your chances to get six points there. But they've kind of stumbled out of the blocks here in the Champions League, and they're level on points with Spartak. I think you'd probably still favor them to go through, but they still have the hard work <coughs> in front of them. Uh, Sevilla, a good win against a Maribor team that's probably in over their heads Shame, because those teams are usually the most fun in the Champions League. But easy for Sevilla. A hat-trick from Ben Yedder to match Harry Kane. So that group, Liverpool still probably feeling all right. But I think you would have, especially the way this match went against Spartak today, you would have liked to pick up three points if you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah, it's just a bit disappointing to be two out of two in terms of points. So they'll pick it up against Maribor, and I don't think Spartak will be able to catch them for that second place or first place spot. But, you know, you just have to be careful. Weirder things have happened uh, in a group stage. And you also might, at this point, be looking at a second-place finish, which may not be which, ideal Which, if you're thinking about long-term, you're going to get a really tough team uh, in that first round of the knockout stage, which is you don't want to do. Um, I think other fun results, Besiktas. Besiktas, they're good. If you fast good. forward, If you fast-forward about four podcasts, when we were doing <laughs> a Champions League preview, I made a lot of predictions. One of them was that Carabag was going to get out of the group stage. Big match tomorrow for the boys because they play Roma, and if they don't pick up that one, they're probably not getting out of the group. But the prediction that I felt best about was Besiktas to make the quarterfinals. Six points from six. They handled RB Leipzig today. Nobody wants to go play in Istanbul. Leipzig looked in over their head. They're in a very winnable group with Porto and Monaco yet to come. I like what I've seen from Besiktas so far. The double with Monaco coming up, but I think they've gotten themselves in pole position and Besiktas could end up being that team that's in the group winner's pot that every single group runner-up wants to draw because you like your chances there better. Spoiler alert, you don't want to draw them because they're going to the quarterfinals. You heard it here first. Besiktas looking good. Uh, Man City's group, 
They look comfortably through. I think Napoli and Shakhtar are going to have to duke it out, but I still would favor Napoli at this point. I would favor Shakhtar at this point. I like a lot of what I saw from Shakhtar today. They were nil-nil at halftime. They got beat by a De Bruyne or Worldly early on in the second half. It, just a top-class goal. Kevin De Bruyne is ridiculous yeah, as He's a insane. I think that, that home match, that home tie against Napoli is going to be the big one. Because they, they already have three points in the bag from when they went to Napoli, and that's yeah. a great result for Shakhtar. They still have two with Feyenoord coming up, which is probably the worst team in that group. And I think they acquitted themselves really well against City today. They had a couple chances. Ederson had to make some saves. The second for City came at the very end of this match. This was really more of a 1-0 match. I like where Shakhtar have been so far, and I think they're going to pit <coughs> Napoli for second in this group. Yeah, we also we only have one match to go off for the other half, the the A through D. Well, because we got half. a match tomorrow. We can talk we got about the match tomorrow, so that's what we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about group predictions necessarily. But some good ones lining up. Uh, I like Atletico Chelsea. Oh, a lot. you skipped the early match. Sorry, that's. I know this is the one that we all have our eyes on. And by we all, I mean Austin and I, because this is Carabag's do or die moment. <clears throat> we at said, home in Baku. This is a big match for the boys. Look, we said that Carabag would probably have to be picking up points in Baku if they were going to do the miracle and come out of this group. They did not pick up points at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Which is fine. We said they didn't yeah, have to. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but Dino's going to have to do some magic. The 27-year-old South African Dino, the striker for Carabag, is probably going to need to come up big. It's going to be tough. Roma's good. Carabag's not. But Roma, Roma's very good, but hey. Early start? They haven't been to Baku before. That's true. Nobody's those, been to Baku before. Those body clocks for Roma. Yeah. Yeah, could be in trouble. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping for Carabag to get a result there. Uh, looking at it, I, I, I circled Atletico Chelsea, but also PSG Bayern. Yeah. Two really great games. One of them, I think, a little bigger, but Atletico Chelsea is tactically very interesting. And you also have the whole Diego Costa <laughs> story. Obviously, he won't feature for Atletico Madrid in, until January, but that deal finally going through. Uh, you know, who knows what will be going I on I think Sim- Simeone-Conte is a very good battle between two conservative managers. First Champions League match at Atletico's new stadium as well after they've left the Calderon. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a that's a very, very fun match. Madrid are a bit behind <clears throat> because they only got a point against Roma in that first match. Of course, they have they the Carabag. They dominated that one. They, they have they... the Carabag double coming up, so I think they'll be feeling all right with where they're at. But I think they can definitely beat Chelsea. PSG Bayern, as you said, that's probably the matchup of these two teams. Bayern have been struggling a little bit, a tie with Wolfsburg at the weekend. Obviously, they started their Champions League run out pretty well by, by pounding Anderlecht. PSG made, made Celtic look really poor. This is the type of match <coughs> that is the most frustrating part of the Champions League because it is such a good match and but it's they're really not gonna, fun. But they're not going to be sending their best stuff because it's the the group stage. Well, and it just doesn't really matter because regardless yeah, of what, what happens that's what here... That's what I'm saying. Neither of them needs to get right. a result. PSG here. or Bayern are both still going through because Anderlecht and Celtic have looked incompetent. And so... Yeah, it's a great matchup with low stakes. Right. So, neither team will tip their hand. Hopefully it's a good game, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what it tells us after afterwards. Any other games that catch your eye or any upsets you spy? Uh, I'm looking at Moscow. CK, CSKA. Let's steal a point off United at home. Yeah, that's probably the match where I think not necessarily the best chance for a surprise to happen. Barcelona and Sporting catches my eyes. I always love watching Portuguese sides play. Both of those matches, Barcelona Sporting and United CSKA, are both matches of teams that are already on three points. So it's a chance for whoever (coughs) wins those matches to be sitting in the catbird seat as they head forward. Yeah, CSKA are intriguing. Um, it can be tough to travel to Russia. Vicinho, the Brazilian striker for them, the 23-year-old who is an Internacional in Brazil, a dangerous player, but then just a lot of 
hard-nosed Russians in that CSKA squad, um, uh, plus Ponches of Arnblom, the, the Swedish midfielder. I think they can give United troubles. Obviously, the Pogba injury for United. United looked a little bit slow on the weekend against Southampton. Really great. their first human performance so far in the Prem because they've looked real good otherwise. Yeah, so I think I think CSK are, are in decent position. I think Sporting Barcelona will be really intriguing as well. You know, we've had all of the questions with Barcelona. Where are they at right now? They've done pretty well in the league. They've done better they've than They've done great in La Liga. They've, yep. they've owned it despite all the controversy around their team in the very poor preseason. But this is also just an incredibly intriguing squad for sporting. You know, you've got Sado Dumbia and Brian Ruiz, the veterans up It's top. so weird how they've ended up there. In the <laughs> midfield, you know, William Carvalho, the Portuguese midfielder, Marcos Acuna, the young Argentine, uh, Batalia, the former River Plate midfielder in there as well, Adrian Silva, Jeremy Machu, former Barcelona player, is now Revenge kicking around game. on their back line, Fabio Brown. <clears throat> so there's just a lot of interesting pieces for sporting. They get Barcelona to come to um, Lisbon. So, I don't know. Maybe Sporting could do something, but it's the Champions League, so they probably won't. My my not hot take, my very cold take, is that Barcelona's going to dispose of them 3-0. Well, <clears throat> and... My, my hotter take is that Moscow will get a point. Okay, there we go. And, and maybe the one match that we haven't talked about yet, uh, Basel-Benfica is intriguing, but the one that kind of catches my eye is Juventus against Olympiacos. Juventus are heavily favored in that match. But they're also on zero points and can't afford to slip up at home against the. The, the pressure pro- will be on them. Yeah, to perform. against probably I think the they weakest will. team. They will, but you know, Olympiacos gets through thirty minutes without conceding. You know, there's going to be some sweaty palms at uh, Juventus Stadium. Uh, any last thoughts here, Austin, about either Champions League, Northwestern soccer, anything before we wrap up? Just that I would like to reiterate that I was on Besiktas from the start, so don't call me a late arriver to the party. I'm in. On the Turks, I'm in at the Vodafone Arena in Istanbul. You, me, this March, Champions League quarterfinals in Istanbul? Might have to book our tickets now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we might have to. Um, we'll kayak that and get back to you next week. Yeah, we will We will get you those price updates. Um, anyways, thanks for listening this far. There will be an interview with Michael Moynihan shortly forthcoming. Uh, aside from that, it's been, it's been another good podcast here on Kicking It. Anybody know Istanbul's airport code? We we will find it. We will find it for you. Austin, do you do you have it? The city code is IST, but it looks like the airport is SAW. Saw. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Well, we'll get back to the prices. We'll get back week. to the price next week. Stay tuned for this potential March trip to Istanbul. Uh, could be a very fun one. Uh, thanks for listening this far. Again, as we said, we always have a good time. Mitt Malik, Austin Miller here on Kicking It, and now our weekly interview with Michael Moynihan. Hi, I'm Amit Malik of WNUR Sports, joined here this week for our weekly interview with associate head coach David Nikolich. Coach, how are you doing this week? Doing well, doing well, thanks. Very excited to talk about the women's soccer team, as always. A good weekend for, for your team, four points at home, a draw against number 12 Rutgers, and a 2-0 win against Maryland. Let's start with that uh, overtime draw against Rutgers. What do you think it said about your team that you were able to get a result against a very highly ranked team in a game that you guys actually kind of dominated? Well, I would agree. I think we dominated start to finish. Um, I think we put together long sequences where we were better. Um, I think we grew as a team uh, back to front. I think we got a little bit back to what we've been known for and uh, shutting teams down and shutting teams out. Um, but our midfield really dominated and, and controlled the tempo. And I think they um, uh, Rutgers... Uh, highly ranked team. We knew what we we uh, what we get every time we play them. We played them two times last year, um, uh, and they were there were battles as well. So 
the team was up for it. The team was ready, and uh, it showed. Obviously, you guys, you guys didn't get the goal you wanted, and scoring for open play has always been a little bit challenging the last few years. You know, what do you tell your team, even when they dominate a match, you know, what's the next step to try and get that goal to, to get that huge win in a game where you probably should have earned the points? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we'll tell them everything. We're going to go back out and work on it some more. Um, scoring in, in, in soccer, as everybody knows, is um, probably the hardest thing to do. Um, but when you're getting, when you're looking at the final stats, it's, you know, who gets the more goals? It's not who gets more corners, who has more possession, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's who's going to put the ball in the net. Um, so we go back the next days and we continue, continue to work on it and, um, you know, keep trying to find those, those opportunities where our, our players can shine in, in, in training and, and get them in front of the goal. Um, so hopefully that, that memory of um, being in front of the goal in training will, will come back when we're, when we're in the game. And then moving on to this, this match against Maryland on Sunday, you guys scored two first-half goals, both off of corner kicks. Uh, was pretty much about as comprehensive performance you could want. The result was never in doubt. You know, what did it say about your team to, you know, take care of business against a solid Maryland team and do what they had to do? Yeah, Maryland definitely improved. Um, great energy from them um, already throughout the season. Uh, you know, so we were expecting a battle and also with a short uh, time frame, playing Friday, Sunday, which we don't really have to do much this year, um, was a challenge. And it was hot. Um, so the, the team, again, rose um, to the level that we needed it to. They came out right from the start, as you said, and we got the two first half goals. We were pushing for more. Um, getting another one would have been nice, a little bit, probably a little bit uh, more breathing room. Than, and, you know, it was one of those things where uh, we, we are executing in, in those areas um, of the, off the set pieces and the corners. Um, and so, you know, we have to continue to ride that and try to expand on that. Marissa Vigiano, the junior, has been especially uh, dangerous this year with her set-piece delivery. I know it's something you guys talk about a lot, so you guys work it a lot. What's been working well for her this year to just always put the ball in a dangerous area? Well, you can see someone who has worked on it. It's someone who spent a lot of time working on it. Now um, she's getting the fruits for, the, for those labors, and the, the, the serves have been accurate, the serves have been driven, the serves... Uh, um, our pinpoint to the, the areas we need them to be and that is not just by luck it's it has been by training and she has worked very very hard to establish herself as that go-to person to do it and um, she stepped up and has, has answered um, you know, in many in many opportunities so um, it, it's it's the preparation and, and, it, and it wasn't starting in August it's been since last uh, since January and then you mentioned a little bit earlier your back line looking more like normal. Hannah Davison a few games back now from that little injury, and everything seems to be clicking. You know, how, how do you guys continue to keep that you know, defensive lock going the rest of the season? I think they're hungry to, to show that the first couple games were not um, indicative of who they, they really are. Um, all of them, uh, you know, from Clem and Goal and Cassidy and, and, and Kayla and Hannah and, and McKenna, who's been starting almost all the games as the outside back, are proud of those uh, uh, proud of those results and those uh, accomplishments, and but they they know that their efforts and their work um, uh, has to happen every game. Um, uh, you know, we expect it from them, and they have high expectations for themselves. So I, I think their expectation for themselves to have success 
um, is something that we don't have to worry about um, because they demand so much from themselves. Four games into Big Ten play, your team has seven points. After a tough opening match against Penn State and three of the top teams in the conference you guys have faced, you know, you're holding pretty solid with seven, kind of near the top of the conference. How do you, how do you feel about your position uh, heading towards, you know, a bit of a softer stretch of the schedule and just the back end of the season? I don't think any part of the Big Ten is a soft any, – any, there's any soft part of any schedule in the Big Ten. I think every game um, uh, there's going to be challenges. Now we go on the road for a long stretch. Um, Indiana and Purdue, two quality teams. Again, both teams have uh, greatly improved um, uh, their their performances, and we're expecting games that are, are going to be battles from the start. Um, so I, 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 I don't look at any of those, and we don't look at any of those saying, hey, this is going to be one that we can take a breather on because they're all going to be challenging. And if our team doesn't prepare themselves properly, follow the game plan, and act the game plan um, properly, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So they have been in the last three games, like you said, the last three games. I think we really have, have done well um, working through the game plan and um, performing on, on game day. Looking ahead to those two games, just a little bit specifically, Indiana on the road on Thursday, going to be a, going to be a tough match. They're improved from last year, as you said. They have two uh, players with five goals scored. A team that likes to shoot a lot, uh, very good offense. What, what's the what's the game plan there? Well, yeah, we're still formulating the the ideas, but I I think they again they are a team that has has been able to to generate results because of uh, they they do they do take a lot of shots. They do they have been able to score goals. Um, you know, again, I think we're going to just continue to work and build on what we have been doing. Um, our possession has greatly impro- uh, improved, has gotten us in dangerous areas. We've created a lot of corner kicks. We've created a lot of set pieces. Um, and now it's just getting that final pass, getting that final part of the, um, uh, the final action um, to get us, you know, to finish the goal um, and through the run of play. Um, if we can do that, I think we're going we're gonna to be in good shape. And then looking ahead to Purdue uh, on the weekend, the best scoring offense in the Big Ten, two and a half goals a game. They have a player with eight goals and eight assists, a really dynamic player. What's your plan to shut her down and then, you know, kind of your strength versus their strength on that side of the field? Well, it's a Sunday game. You know, we, we add the extra because we're playing Thursday. We get that extra day of rest. So, um, you know, that, that will be a big help. Um, I, you know, I think the, the Sunday games always prove to be challenging. Um, in terms of, uh, of you know maintaining the focus, um, and I, I think the the operation of the back line and, and how our two uh, holding midfielders do to prevent balls into that player um, will be key. Uh, we haven't worked through our whole plan for that game yet, but um, if we can deny the ball to her, uh, it makes it very difficult for her to get the opportunities. So that's really what you know we're going to have to really focus on. And then last question, who's one or two players maybe this weekend that you're looking forward to just step up, put in a little bit extra, and help your team get, you know, six points, which yeah. is very doable? Well, I think Brenna, Brenna Oliveira has been uh, really um, – has done a good job this, this past weekend. I think she really um, uh, solidified herself, just her ability to, you know, get around the ball, um, be a good target for us up front. Um, she scored. You know, can, can we get more from – from that through the run of play, I think she's ready for it. I think she's she's been training really well. Um, uh, and, you know, probably the other one would be, you know, you're looking at, you know, uh, Reagan Steigleiter or Kylie Fisher coming back. 
Uh, Regis Iler coming back, um, uh, being out again. Um, Kylie Fisher has been stepped up into um, uh, a starting role and has really relished that and has, has just been very dynamic. So again, for both of them, what you know, the final piece, can we finish? Great. Thanks for our coach. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Thank you.